50 years later, the hosts of Get Played look back on their show. <laughs> so here's the thing, right? <laughs> there, there used to be, so before everybody was sort of mind melded with the web itself, you would choose individual things to listen to one at a time, right? So it wasn't like just all of the information of human beings and mankind being injected into your head simultaneously. You'd have to be like, I'm going to listen to these three bozos talking to me. Can you imagine that? Yeah, you used to have a choice with your content. Now, you know, nowadays, people, that's like a novel concept for kids today. You know, nowadays, it's just a cacophonous hum. Uh, that's how you ingest information and, and, and content. It's just, you know, back in the day, you just didn't have it like that, you know? We had a president. We didn't have a AI overlord named the leader who kind of governed what content we could or could not consume. So if you like, were like, hey, I like video games. And again, video games were a thing where you could uh, grab some sort of controller, like like you'd, so you'd hold it in your hand and you would press buttons and wiggle a, a stick uh, to position, you know, whatever interactivity you were doing on screen. And the hands were appendages that were attached to the ends of your arms, uh, which is now where we have, obviously, our uh, robo-tentacles. The, the, so the idea of choice, right? So you, you could you choose a video game to play and you got to choose whether or not you were playing. Like it wasn't the forced work service that we're all conscripted into from birth. So imagine a world where you wake up whenever you want, you choose something you want to listen to, and then you choose sort of a job. I, I mean, to varying degrees, you had a freedom of choice in your job. You chose what to eat, uh, unlike all these things today. And the three of us had this podcast which, I mean, <laughs> to get to the etymology of podcast, I'd have to explain iPods. And, yeah, it was sort of hard to explain back then, too. But here we are, and we would have these microphones, and we would speak into a microphone, listen to each other's voices, respond to each other's voices, and for some reason, people would listen. And this was, you know, obviously predates the podcast wars, which is a whole other thing. I... I remember my first execution in that war. <laughs> I remember st standing over Paul Shear, tears in my eyes, screaming, what's happened to us? What have we become? We started from the same place. Our podcast was a play. It was a play <laughs> There was a there was a really dark moment on the battlefield where me and Chef Kevin strangling each other, both too weak to actually finish the job, screaming, kill me. No, you kill me. No, you kill me for hours. I was like, take that blank check. Blam, blam. Gotcha. <laughs> You're cooked. You're done. <laughs> Who's next? <laughs> really, though, the big difference is that back then, you know, we were hosts. And now, of course, we're ghosts. <laughs> that is really the big difference. And you know what? We're all better for it, too. We're all better I, you for know, it. 
we, this was 50 years in the making, and I'm just glad we can be here to look back on those times and now just, you know, party like ghosts. Yeah. I'm going to go suck off Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> Jesus He's Christ. still alive. <laughs> He's still alive. We play games that predate our births and watch old men reminisce about workplace drug use as we talk Atari 50, the anniversary celebration this week on Get Played. to Get Played, your one-stop show for good games, bad games, and every game in between. It's time to Get Played! I'm your host, Heather Ann Campbell, along with my fellow host, Nick Weiger. That's me, Nick Weiger. And I'm here with our third host, Matt Apodaca. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the premier video game podcast. We once played bad games, now we play all games, and what a week it is. For all games, we're discussing the Atari 50th anniversary celebration package, and I can't wait to start talking about it. But before we do, we always talk about other stuff. Yes. Hey, guys, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I've been I've been sneakily eating an apple as we've been starting the show. Yeah, you're doing kind of bites. Like cheekily too. You're like, I hope no yeah. one sees. Can't believe I'm getting away with this. Yeah. What if one of my chomps gets picked up by the microphone? <laughs> oh no. He's also weirdly like half naked in a cardboard box. Well, we know why. But yeah. <laughs> That's unrelated. Like, like poking himself up like a little mouse. Yeah. <laughs> um I'm just gonna get ahead of this. Yeah. I have a cold. Yeah. I don't know if anybody could hear it, but it's just it's just part of it. And it's fine. We're, we're sorry, Matt. We're sorry. Hang in there, buddy. Yeah. It's okay. Look, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. This, this is what I'm going to If I'm going to use the last of my energy today, this is how I'm going to do it. That's a bad decision, but thank you. Yeah, thank you. Also, Matt, I hope you're feeling better after the weekend because... We are doing our Game of the Year episode live on Twitch <laughs> this Tuesday, December 6th. Wow. 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 Do you have a time? Uh, I think we said 5.30, like last time, right? 5.30, is that good with you guys? Sure, 5.30, 5.30 Pacific. 5.30 yeah. PS2. Yeah. PS2? 8.30 Eastern. Yeah, PS2. <laughs> 5.30 PS2. PS2, 8.30 uh, ES2. DS, Nintendo DS. E- ES2. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when we when we do these shows, we're like, why does anyone know we're doing a show? Why isn't how? And yeah, it's because it's, we announced the time like two pe- like people playing shuffleboard on like the deck of just like uh, idiots, like yeah, fools yeah. with a cocktail in our like hand. my mom trying to remember the name of a movie. <laughs> we also yeah we'll we'll we we uh you know we 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 start we aren't giving people more notice on this i guess we'll announce it probably on our social media before the weekend right yeah is there any out there of course I'll, yeah of how course. about after this i throw up a post we'll we'll, we'll post it up and so uh you know uh, check us out twitch.tv slash get played pod and uh we'll be talking about our favorite games of 2022 uh which 
you know, fuck it, there's still shit coming out, obviously, but we'll talk about what we've played up to this point, and, and we'll also just, you know, generally chop it up with uh, with all of you in the chat. So look forward to that. Hope you can join us live. If not, that episode will be in our main feed the subsequent Monday. Also, I do want to talk real quick because it it happened very recently. The Mario trailer, I don't think we've talked about on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Second Mario trailer. Second Mario trailer that it has me very bullish on the the film. Uh, I think it looks fantastic. I'm I'm okay with most of the creative choices. There's also a meme that I know this will will feel absolutely ancient because uh you know memes age like a uh, cottage cheese in the sun. Uh, but the meme has been spawned from the Mario trailer, which is "You just got Luigi'd," and I cannot get enough of the "You just got Luigi'd" image. It's so good. It's, it's so like good. A, it's like I don't know. It's sort of like an early internet. It has an early internet sort of vibe. Like if you yes. clicked on a link and that was all that was there, you'd be like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I think for the release month or at least the release week of this movie, we should change the name of the podcast to Got Luigi'd. Sure. Sure. Or Get Luigi'd. I think it's still at the present end, tense. Yeah. You get Luigi'd and at the end we would be like, you got Luigi'd. You got Luigi'd. And yeah. we cover a bunch of Luigi games. We already did one. <laughs> I don't know. Luigi Mansion. We did we did the best one. Mario is missing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the trailer's got a lot of it 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 looks familiar but new in a way that must have been tested uh, like a vaccine. It must like the 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 well, don't get me started notes, on that. <laughs> the number of notes that they must have received to be like, okay. He can make new facial expressions, but they must be within a pantheon of recognizable Mario facial expressions. We can have Donkey Kong, but he's got to be like, right. He's got We've got to thread the needle on all this stuff so that it feels like the stuff you remember, but just new enough that you would go to the movie theater for it as opposed yeah. to play the game. There's, there's Mario Kart. In the trailer? This is something that I wish they didn't put in the trailer. I have a theory about why they put so much in the trailer, and I think it is to sort of curry favor with the fans of this massive IP to be like, hey, look, we're doing it. We're fucking doing this. Here's all this stuff in it. But if you go to the movie theater and you're seeing the Mario movie and there's a Mario Kart section and you didn't know that was in there, you'd lose your fucking mind. Yeah. The barbarian approach. Yes. Yeah. It'd be they'd, huge. They'd never, they'd never dare take that with an Illumination movie. No, but. no. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited. It looks yeah. great. It looks really, really great. I'm, I'm, I'm fucking, I'm on board. I get, I guess I'll, I, I should say cautious optimism. That's probably the saner take, but I feel I'm, I'm, I'm pretty on board at this point. It's I not. Think it looks pretty rad for us, right? Sure. It's where people in their in, in their thirties and forties. It's not for us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. Notably childless. Yeah. <laughs> yes. None of us have enough tea to do it. Uh, <laughs> but I think it looks good in the same way that I loved. I loved Sonic 2. That movie was not made for me at all. Also not a Sonic guy. It's it's weird. It. On a week where we're playing this 50th anniversary of the Atari Collection thing to be like, well, Mario is... He's an old 
old IP, yeah, right? Yeah, right. And yet simultaneously, this movie is not for us, is de- demonstrative of such exquisite brand management. Like this, Mario and Pokemon are silently ushered into children's laps over and over again by this international conglomerate that is constantly making money off of kids. Yeah. yeah. And the Mario movie is like, woof. But and especially if you contrast that with the Mario movie that some of us got in our childhoods. <laughs> with, <laughs> with Bob Hoskins and and Lou Gazamo, which was just baffling. We've covered it here on the podcast before. Yeah. Um, the difference between those two movies, which I hope that like in the future, Tarantino shows as a double feature at one of his owned movie theaters here in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's woof. Well, that one was, it, it came from the complete opposite of the just like, they're like, uh, what, uh, so what's Mario again? And uh, there's two guys, they're brothers, they like wear overalls, they're the one's red, one's green, just fucking do whatever. You know, it's like, it, co- it comes from just completely shuffling off, like, yeah, yeah, there's a fucking Mario movie, it'll be whatever, to, yes, to what you're saying, Heather, of just having this this extremely granular control over the uh, the, the final product. Um, I'll be, I mean, look, love Detective Pikachu. Was yes. very very impressed. They were able to pull that movie off. Uh, that's so funny and such a good noir, and so also like captures the spirit of Pokemon so well. Uh, and w- given the the no doubt onerous restrictions they were uh, shackled with from the IP holder, uh, and you know we think that 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 that, w- that should also would also hopefully be the case. At the end result of the Mario movie, we'll see. I think it's going to slap. I think, and then, you know, looks good. Looks sign, fantastic. Sign me up for whatever else they got cooking. I know that they're talking Donkey Kong spinoff, you know, uh, let's fucking go. I, I am going to start apologizing for Chris Pratt's performance and mildly endorsing it. Cause I think his let's a go is what the movie version of a Mario movie should sound like. Wow. I think I think him being like, let's go, is like how you would expect that moment to play, right? In a if, movie, yeah. In, in a movie, in a movie. Although, fuck, God, I hope they release like a voice pack. <laughs> yeah, I know. Wahoo! Yippee! <laughs> All right. They do what they did like in like the nineties, where like they make a movie off the game, but then they yeah. make the game off the movie. Oh yes, yeah. The Street Fighter, the movie, the game version yeah. of the Mario movie. Yeah. Hey, but two D side scroller. <laughs> like, hey, cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Uh, hey, before we before we get talk about video games, I have a new segment that will hopefully not be recurring. Get me to do real quick. Is I've it got you s- eating a fucking apple? Because we all that's not a segment. Yeah, I don't want to <laughs> see you eat it in one bite, corn all again. <laughs> I'm just so hungry for apples. <laughs> They're so good. Weird. <laughs> What's your no, segment? This, the se- the segment is I got some corrections on previous episodes of stuff oh. I got wrong. It is. Correct it, Ralph. Correct it, Ralph. 
Wow. I'm going to correct it. Wow. So, and here's the thing, too. This yeah. can't be a recurring segment because I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I will never I will never do this. I'm gonna, this is just I'm, for me. I'm going to introduce a different segment where I basically become power and lie about games. Just boldly. <laughs> <laughs> What's your corrections, Nicholas? Okay, here we go. Uh, first up. So, uh, some people in our Discord pointed out two Weiger whoopsies, so I'm going to address them one at a time. Wait, why isn't it called Weiger whoopsies? Because it's called Correct It Ralph. <laughs> First Weiger whoopsie. <laughs> On the speedrun episode with our buddy Yusong, uh, I talked about a Todd Rogers... And the Atari 2600 game Dragster, really the, the first speedrunner, the first person who made money from playing games uh, was, you know, this drag racing game. And he had this 5.51 second run. I had referenced an article from 2016, but apparently in 2018, he was exposed as a fraud. Wow. So this is a Washington Post article by Amy B. Wang. Uh, I'll read a little bit of this. Faced with a growing number of complaints that Rogers had falsified his time, as well as an increasing pile of evidence suggesting that a 5.51 second run on Dragster was technically impossible, Twin Galaxies announced Monday that it had thrown out all of Rogers' records, not simply his 1982 Dragster time, and banned him from for life from its scoreboards. The presented software analysis model concluded that achieving score times of less than 5.57 seconds in Dragster is not possible under standard and normal play conditions. Beyond the software analysis evidence, which speaks directly to Todd Rogers' Dragster 5.51 score time, the, this dispute case has collected a significant amount of circumstantial evidence as that extends well beyond Todd's single score performance. We have evaluated this evidence carefully and found it to be compelling and relevant. So this it, it's kind of like I'd said, like, yeah, there's this uh, there's this guy uh, who, uh, you know, he won the Tour de France all these times. Um, his name is Lance Armstrong. He's fucking amazing. Yeah. And then I like I didn't have the second half of what happened to him. So there you go. He's a fucking fraudster. Well, I hope they buried him under the jail. Uh, I hope so, too. <laughs> anyway, second correction. Second Weiger whoopsie. So on our Marvel Snap episode, and you guys know this, I was quite insistent about, about calling it like we should talk. We should, we're going to talk about deck building games. Yes. Well, some people who play more card games uh, commented on this. And I'll say this. This is in our Discord. The Reddit is a sewer. The Discord is a salon. We're engaging spirited <laughs> discussions. That is nice. That is nice. I like um, that. So, so here's the thing: deck building is a is is more of a subgenre slash related genre of collectible card games that more specifically refers to games where you're building your deck as part of gameplay. So that's again, you know, like so Slay the Spire, which I mentioned, is considered a deck building game. Uh, Monster Train is another example, but it's usually like you'll start off with a few starter cards as, as, as you're doing a run. You'll go through and you'll be like, okay, I'm going to add to my deck. Oh, I can filter out some of these weaker cards from my deck, and eventually by I get the time I get to the end of the run, I hopefully have a deck I can do some damage with, but the randomization of that of it is is a big part of the gameplay, as opposed to a collectible card game. Uh, or, you know, a deck construction game, which is more like what Marvel Snap is or Hearthstone or most of the other games we talked about where you have a, a deck that you build in advance and then you go and take that for multiple play sessions. So, yeah, that would have been a better descriptor, collectible card games or just like digital card games. So anyway, that was correct it, Ralph. Uh, I'll never make a mistake again, but that's what I got so far. That's true. We You go back and listen to all the episodes. We've never, ever been wrong. <laughs> Welcome to a new segment called Power Up. 
the segment where I lie about games. Number one, Hans Zimmer wrote the theme to Ridge Racer. Two, Sonic the Hedgehog's favorite food is European children. Number three, Disco Elysium is a sequel to the 1991 hit movie The Rock, starring Hulk Hogan as The Mummy. And finally, 50 Cent starred in a game called Hockey. You can look it up. This has wow. been Power Up. Thanks, Power from Chainsaw Man. <laughs> that was delightful. <laughs> Those are all true. All true. They are true. <laughs> I never said them. <laughs> Look, there's there's all sorts of things you can do with your time. You can also play video games. And so he's fucking I have to ask on everyone, it today. What are you playing? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what are you playing? Hey, Resident Evil Merchant, are you doing okay? Yeah. Seems sort of slumped over, perhaps in physical pain. Yeah, I got, I got, I got, I got diagnosed with a self-inflicted disease. (laughs) They don't have a name for it yet. Uh, so right. a disease that you made, like local to your body only, they don't have yeah. a name for it. It's not contagious, but it, you get it when you eat, <laughs> when you just, you're eating dirt. Okay. Just at a low point. Guys, I'm going to turn the corner soon. I hope so. Because I, I, I got to be honest, like you're, you're on a dark path right Where now. Where was I last week? Was I in jail? Well, you were in jail pretty recently, and then you you claim to have broken out of jail. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got inside a guy's body. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. The I just have a question. Yeah, yeah. You don't have La Plaga, do you? La Plaga? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> that is what he said it was. That's oh, what no. The, that's no. what the doctor said it was. Not the more aggressive T-virus. Yeah, 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 yeah. He said, you have La Plaga. And I went, what's that? He said, you gave it to yourself. And I went, when? And he said, I don't know. Do you remember the last five days? And I said, no. <laughs> Woke up on Sunset Boulevard in between a dumpster and a tire from a car. And I had La Plaga. Yikes. Uh, go get that looked at. And honestly, I'm glad we're recording this remotely because I don't want to be near you right now. My, I don't want to be near me. I, I heard what? it. I what? heard. I heard La Plaga can get through the wires. Oh, oh no. <laughs> well, guys, I'll get out of here. Yeah, put After a I ask you a bag question. over your microphone or something. What? Huh? A bag? Just, yeah. <laughs> just cover up that microphone for sanitation. You, yeah. I've got a lot of bags. You do seem to have a lot of bags. Filled with liquid. All right, guys. <laughs> <laughs> what are you playing? Uh, thank you so much for asking. Matt, what have you been playing lately? Okay. So here's the thing. I've been playing a lot of games. You Ooh. know, obviously we're playing. Hell yeah. We're playing uh, Persona 5 Royal. Just crossed over 50 hours in there. Doing great. Alpha. I fucking love it. We'll yeah. talk more about it. Well, yeah. In the coming weeks, but yep. I fucking love it. You, you, you'll see I'm wearing a Persona 5 hat right now. 
I'm just noticing that. That's fucking awesome. When did you get that? I'll talk more about it in a couple of weeks. Okay. Nice. <laughs> uh, Got to save some stories for the show. Uh, yeah. But in between playing that, you know, we just had a holiday weekend. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I have two other games and this one that we're talking about today. Oh, the real headline is from between last week and this week, today, I've uh, multiplied my Marvel Snap collection score by a factor of like 11. <laughs> Hell yeah. I, wow. I'm in the 200s now uh, and I love it. It really clicked for me after the episode. Like, honestly, like hearing you talk about it, Nick, I was like, you know what? I liked this enough to keep trying and Nick seemed to really, really get something out of it. I, why don't I just keep going? And then my weekend was gone. Um, it's great. It's a really, really great game. Yeah. I put down Pokemon not to not get back to it, um, but I noticed something. It was playing better on my Switch Lite than on my Switch Heavy, mm. which I found interesting. And they recently put a patch out to address some select bugs. Um, so I'll be getting back to that, but I fell deep, deep, deep into God of War Ragnarok. And God of War Ragnarok, as you could expect, is so fucking good. <laughs> it is fucking incredible. It's a masterpiece. Wow. It There's things about it, there's things in it that I, don't, I can't even talk about. Like, story-wise, you know, I don't want to, I'm not preparing us to get into spoiler country because I know you guys probably yes. aren't where I am in that game. No. I haven't played it yet. It's, it's, it's astounding. It's, it's really, really great. The combat I talked about a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago is perfect. It's so good. Um, I've been doing side quests and there's a side quest that is not dissimilar to a side quest in Elden Ring. And I can't wait to talk about it when we all know what that is. Mm. Um, but it's, it's, it's beautiful. It plays great. I just watch the hours slip away when I'm when I'm playing it, and I just I I love it so much, and it's just so you know. Last month we did that um, game and tell where I talked about all the my love of those games and all of them. This one might be the best one. Wow, it's insane how good it is. I I can't wait for you guys to spend some time with it. Um, it's it's wonderful. It's really really great. It's great when that happens with a franchise where it's not like they like, you know, because sometimes it'll be like, oh, they never recapture the magic of the first. Yeah. One. They just never figure that out again. And then uh, but then other times they just, oh, they're iterating on it and improving it. And the newest one is the best one. Yes. Um, I'm happy for you, Matt. It's, I know it's, you love those games. Thank you. It's really great. And like. At first, I was sort of like, is this kind of the same? Is this that is this different enough? And mm -hmm. you start playing it a little longer and you're just like, oh, like. It is, but they refined so much of it that it is almost completely different. It's 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 wow. fantastic. Wow. Yeah. Uh, on the, the the switch light thing, because this is a thing I've heard, and and it I think it's I don't know if it's if it's documented or if it's just anecdotal, but that the the Pokemon the new Pokemon was it Scarlet and Violet? Yeah. Uh, runs better on Switch hardware if it's installed on. It's not installed on an SD card. 
Yeah. So is there a difference on your on your Switch Heavy versus your Switch Lite? Like, is that all, is that an, oh, on internal you know, memory? There's more memory in general. Like, hmm. I have like a bigger SD card in the Switch Lite, but hmm. I wonder. I don't know where it's. I could check right now where it's locally installed. I mean, um, you don't have to do that, but no, it's right here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually don't know how to look. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Um, I think it must it must be installed on the system itself because it is running really smooth. Um, I mean that I does guess, that doesn't that shouldn't I don't know why that makes a difference. It's, it's like nonsense. Running smooth compared to how I was playing it the other day, but yeah, um, it's and I you know I do like it. Like I, I saw some people being worried that I wasn't going to get back to it. I'm going to get back to it, but we just got, you know, I got to get past. Once we're out of Persona 5 territory, I'll be back. I'll be back in, you know, yeah. uh, it, it's not going anywhere. And hopefully they patch it a couple more times too by then. I'm seeing how much, you know, like gaming I have ahead of me. And I have a feeling that Ragnarok is going to slip into my 2023 backlog. Oh, but yeah. I do want to get to it. Um, I'll, I'll, since you mentioned Marvel Snap, uh, Matt, I'll go. And first off, I want to—I have been playing more Marvel Snap. Yeah, my collector score is is in the eight hundreds now. I will say that uh, I'm I'm still having a lot of fun with it. It is a really cool design. Uh, I, I'm playing a Wong going deck now, which is like I take Wong and I take some ongoing cards and and have a big uh, nice. uh, spectrum closer, uh, and that's a that's a blast. Uh, I want to shout out past guest Henry Gilbert from the great Talking Simpsons podcast yeah. who has uh, who reached out and was uh, like, hey, listen to the episode. I've been playing a shitload of Marvel Snap and was basically like, a, you know, doesn't normally get into card games, doesn't normally get into, you know, mobile games. Um, but this one just really, really clicked for him. Uh, and uh, yeah, he's, his collection level is staggering. It's in the 1700s. This dude's a fucking alpha. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Really put me in my place. Um, but uh, but uh, uh, Henry's a cool dude. People should check out Talking Simpsons. And uh, glad people that, you know, are, are responding to this game because it's a really nifty design. I'll also talk about another game I played uh, some of, which is Dune Spice Wars, Ooh. which is on Game Pass in-game preview. Wow. Uh, it's developed by Shiro Games, who is a French developer that made a well-regarded Norse RTS called Northgard that I have not played, but people like that. Um, it is a 4X real-time strategy game set on the planet of Arrakis in the Duneverse, and it's extremely <laughs> my shit. Like, I'm playing this, and I'm like, it's, this is so fucking dorky. You get to pick your Mentat. It's, this is so fucking great. It's, it's so Duney. Uh, the art direction is really delightful and really just sort of, a, it's, you know, it's not the, the Villeneuve. How do you say his name? Does anyone know how to say his name? I think it's, oh, God, I think it's Villeneuve, I think. Villanueva. It's think not. So. It's not like Denise? it's not ex exactly that. Um, a, a Dune aesthetic. It's its own take on it, but it is still like very, very fitting for the Frank Herbert Duneverse. And uh, uh, the thing is, because it's an early in, uh, in game preview, which is like the 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 Game Pass version of early access, it is like doesn't have like a full tutorial. And there's a little bit of a tutorial in there, but it's like kind of like abridged. And there is just an overwhelming amount of buildings and units. And so it's the kind of thing of like, this is just a game to get lost in. This could turn into like a Crusader Kings kind of experience where you're just like immersed in this game, it feels like. Um, but all that said, 
RTS oftentimes gives me anxiety because it's so stressful, and this one is weirdly kind of chill because it's got like a Ooh. little bit more of a, 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 a of an emphasis, at least in the early game, on exploration um, and expanding your territory as opposed to just like, hey, I'm just gonna uh, uh, build a bunch of units and and try to hold off a Zerg rush. Uh, so yeah, it's it's fucking. I I I'm really liking it. If you're a Dune fan or if you're you're a strategy game fan uh, and you have Game Pass, worth checking out for a little bit. Um, Holy cow! I looked up a. Um, pronunciation guide yeah and i was listening to it when you were talking and i just thought i'd play it real quick okay great looking at how to pronounce with the typical french canadian or french pronunciation denis villeneuve do not pronounce the s to denis it is silent in french do not say denis but rather denis villeneuve denis villeneuve denis villeneuve okay Heather. Yes. What are you playing? What am I playing? <laughs> uh, I, let's see. I, so, okay, look. I've been playing Persona for real. I've been playing it in the mornings. I, uh, I get up, I box, I come home, I drink a cup of coffee, play a little Persona. Usually they end up talking about curry and I think, should I have curry for lunch? Mm, sure. Um, Great, great game. Get into it more when we talk about the game. Um, the rest of my time gaming has <laughs> been with this little known game called Fortnite. <laughs> uh, what is your level now? I don't even know. It's in the 140s, I think. Wow. <laughs> um... I unlocked a silver pumpkin skin. Ooh. Uh, so, friend of the pod, Iffy, uh, was at... <laughs> yesterday, I tweeted about... <laughs> so, that Polo Ralph Lauren announced a collaboration with Fortnite. And for, like, a few days, you could buy polo items in the game. And I was like, that's funny. I didn't get any. But I was like, yeah. it's funny that they exist. Because what is... Uh, a Fortnite skin other than like paying for the idea of a thing. You're not actually paying for the thing. You're paying for the idea of the thing. It right. doesn't do anything. Uh, and so they also announced in the real world a, a, a physical collaboration where Polo Ralph Lauren made Fortnite clothes in the real world. And I was like, that's also funny. Yes. To skin yourself in the real world with an item that you could buy in a game. And then if he was at a launch party last night for the Fortnite Polo Ralph Lauren collab and wow. snagged me a shirt. Wow. Wow. So, so I'm, I'm going to be repping Polo Ralph Lauren Fortnite. <laughs> 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 Which is... I, I know at some point this is going to crest, right? Like at some point we're going to come over the hill, but clearly I'm still climbing. Yeah. Uh, I have been really, really throwing my own victory royales under the bus because I'm trying to do quests. Yeah. So I was like, what else is there to do in this game? And there's so there infinite things. You know, I've talked about going to a concert in the game. You can race car like you it's it's everything right yeah. i was like oh i want to i want to see what the story's about incomprehensible story 
have no idea what they're talking about, who any of the characters are. They're just like, hey, could you go get a backpack out of the bottom of this house and bring it around a lake and try and find these energy spots? But they all have names. And they're referring to like the cataclysm or the paradigm or whatever. Uh, don't know who any of those people are or what's happening. But it is so funny to be trying to do a quest while also playing a battle royale. Like, yeah, right. To be like, oh, I'm going to go swim in this lake in full view of like all of these places that can wipe me out. Like swimming is one of the worst. Like you're just a fucking target. Like it's the worst, right? You're on a flat surface. There's no cover. You can dive underwater, but not for very long. So to be running around with a backpack that's beeping, giving away your location while swimming, while trying to solve a quest for characters that you don't know what their relationship to you, the player, like, are they talking to <laughs> Kylo Ren or the Xenomorph? Right. Are they asking I the guess. Xenomorph to, what is the in-game story of why I look the way I do? Am I that? Or is it like, that Fortnite characters are all assumed to be in costumes. Mm. Who is the player character in Fortnite? I don't know. But yeah, I'm play I'm still playing it. I'm sorry. Hey, you don't need to apologize. I should be dig doing what you something. dig. I should be fucking playing something else. Like No, I think it's cool. Heather, God, I think it's cool. God of yeah, War I think it's is cool right too. there. I, I have my copy. <laughs> I got so, Sony sent because I made the commercials, so they sent me a copy, and I was so excited right. to play God of War. It's just sitting there next to my PlayStation. Haven't touched it. But that's the beauty of it is that it's there. It's there when you're ready for it. When is mm -hmm. that going to be? Who know, you know? Hey, that could be. It could be next out. week. It could be next year, which is you know sooner than later. But you know, it's fine. What? What if you get to a phase where you 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 are only getting victory royales? That's impossible. And like, then you just keep, like get bored of it. I keep leveling up. I think I think there's some invisible tier system, right? Because I am playing against people who I don't recognize any of the things they're wearing. Mm -hmm. Like I've never seen these things. Like there was a while where it was like, oh, I'm playing against Princess Leia and and uh, from some fucking like. Assassin's Creed. Now everybody is either a banana or like in a skin tight green screen suit. Everybody that I encounter. And we were told to avoid the bananas, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bananas are like it's fucking all, bad news. It's all bananas and all green screen suit guys. Because they can like, be they anything. Don't, they don't even care about what they look like. They're wearing like some kind of D and they're terrifying. Yeah. There's a, there's a weird hierarchy. Uh, that you know the the, the self selection that happens. I, I and I, I have a friend who plays a, sh a shitload of Fall Guys, and like is you know in the in the higher ranks there. And there's the same sort of thing of like the kind of uh, skins that are picked by high level players or like signifiers of like it's not necessarily like I'm gonna wear the flashiest thing or I'm gonna wear the hardest to acquire thing. It's more like I'm just gonna wear something that makes me look like I don't like like I'm better than this. Also. It's been proven that your hitboxes change based on your uniform. Oh, wow. So, I didn't know that. Uh, so if you have a, a giant, it says it doesn't, but if you wear like a giant dumpling, there's plenty of YouTube videos that are like, yeah, it's easier to get a headshot on a giant dumpling. 
which is part of why I stopped wearing the Xenomorph outfit because I was like, I'm getting fucking headshotted with this giant penis head. I yeah. have to stop fucking wearing this outfit. That's what yeah. I'm doing. I'm playing fucking Fortnite. Imagine if they had a peanut skin. Mary, Mary, be bad news. Mary came home last night and texted uh-huh. me, "Hey, I'm home. Can you come in from Fortnite?" <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, "I'm inside. I'm reading a book." And she was so shocked. She was like, "You, you you're what?" And I was like, "I'm reading. I'm reading a book inside." And she was like, "Holy shit! Did something ha- is Fortnite not?" Is it down? And I was like, nope. <laughs> Reading a book. For people who don't know your garage gamer cave setup, um, I like to think that when she was like, hey, did you, can you come in from, from Fortnite? It's like you were like out in the woods, like a, <laughs> like a feral creature. I also for a yeah. second thought you were lying. <laughs> like, no, I'm inside reading a book. She's like, I'm inside. <laughs> uh, I'm... In the basement, reading yeah. a book. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, I, I'll i say this. Once they, and I feel like it's an inevitability, once they release Chainsaw Man skins, I'll play some more Fortnite oh for that. Oh, my God. Because I want to play. Because Naruto and power. Dragon Ball are in it, so the Shonen Jump guys are repped. Fucking That'd Chainsaw fucking Man. Sick. God damn it. Get me Super Mario Brothers movie, Mario with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, let's talk about Atari 50, the anniversary celebration, because that's why we're here. It was released on November 11th of this year, developed by Digital Eclipse, has over 90 games uh, from Atari's founding in 1972 to its present. Um, and Heather, this was your pitch, and I'm really glad we're covering this, having spent a, a good amount of time with this package. So, yeah, so I don't like none of us were around for the Atari era, right? And I don't really have any a particular attachment to Atari, but seeing these games in the context presented in this collection is it's it really gives you a feeling of nostalgia for something you never experienced. And it is extremely informative. I described it, I think as a, as if you have an interactive television network that is dedicated to the history of Atari, because there's tons of documentaries, tons of primary documents like business cards, design documents, pitches, it it has when you are presented the game if you play through this collection in chronological order you also get like a sense of excitement the first time the graphics get better like you're right. like oh i've been looking at a bunch of fucking white and black shit for so long in this collection and suddenly i'm seeing color vector graphics and you're you're like wow And then the first time you see a mascot character, you're like, holy shit, this guy's looking around, which is the way it must have felt at the time. Oh, yeah. Um, It also, there's so much I've learned from this, like learned from a video game that I had no idea. And there's so much to to shout out about it that I I just wanted to kind of jump into it. Right? Yeah. Uh, One is... The fucking menu theme song that plays the entire time you're playing the game, like anytime you exit out of one of these Atari classics and back into sort of this timeline that's giving you all this documentary footage and and uh, like advertisements, like old ads, 
is this fucking great little jam that feels retro and uh, but also has that documentary sound to it. Like people yeah. talking about something stupid with real reverence. It's great because it has this loop, which is really, you know, those descending arpeggios. Oh, like, like that really works, but then it kind of settles into more of a groove. Like after set, like a, a, a bunch of time passes, it kind of that kind of drifts away and it's more just sort of like a little bit more atmospheric and bassy. So it works absolutely well as a, yeah, we're kind of getting into more of this part. Uh, like it's just like this app, this, this bed of, uh, of audio as you're working your way through all these different, um, you know what it kind of reminded me of the way it's, it's set up. It's like the, uh, remember final fantasy 10, the way that the, the, the grid was it the sphere grid? Sphere what was it grid. called? Yeah. The, the sphere. sphere yeah. Like navigating the sphere grid to upgrade your character. It's kind of that, except you're navigating like a timeline of, 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 of momentous events and big releases in Atari's history. And it's divided into chapters where it starts off with the, like all arcade stuff and then it gets into the home consoles and then it kind of goes into the dark period. Uh, you know, it, it, it navigates all these different eras of Atari. But for me, a big, a big part, Heather was like, the source material that you mentioned, things like seeing business cards or like vintage ads or like, you know, like like it'll come, the game combat will come up and they'll have like a, a, you know, a 3D model of the box of combat that you can rotate and like read the back of uh, and some of the vintage like flyers that were sent to arcade operators uh, that have the like, like like this amazing, you know, vintage 70s art on it. Like all that shit is like I, I like I love all of this and I love that it's all included. Uh, there's obviously a lot of documentary footage, which we'll talk about a lot of interviews with uh, people who worked at Atari and, you know, luminaries in the game industry. Uh, but the, the the moment where like it really clicked for me or or, or one thing where, where it was like really impactful when it got to it was when they get to the game adventure, which is like kind of the first uh, attempt at a game that was that was more of a, a nonlinear um, you know, quest based game. It's like uh, a where proto you, Zelda. Yeah. A proto Zelda. Yeah. You play yeah. like a little dot and you go around and you, you, you pick up a key. You can pick up an arrow that signifies a sword. You can slay dragons. You navigate through a maze. And after having, you know, played through mostly multiplayer uh, uh, games up to that point, you know, some, some AI games, but everything feels pretty crude. And then you get to that one and it's like, holy shit. This must have hit like a lightning bolt of just like, I can't believe this is what games can be. I can't believe this was uh, this is such a fucking creative take on uh, on this this new medium. And then there's also interviews with like Tim Schaefer and Cliff Blazinski, uh, who are just like talking about how like adventure is just like such a mind blowing experience. Um, and uh, so uh, like that, dev like that stuff I, I love. And I, and I love that it's laid out. So in, in this linear timeline where you can really see the growth of the company. Yeah. And if you play it linearly, if you play mm -hmm. through this timeline to get to adventure, you arrive at adventure and it does, as Nick said, it shocks you. Yeah. Like you've, and at this point you've already played like some pretty surprisingly advanced games. Like I think there's a, a fully polygonal arcade game that I played that I was like, holy shit. There's like, uh, 
the vector graphics games that simulate three-dimensional stuff. But when you get to adventure, like, oh, right, it, we're going to start telling stories with the with these games. Yeah. Um, I want to back go backwards Please. a little bit. Um, because the the game Atari, the, the the 50th anniversary is also a game that explains the creation of video games and like how that space didn't exist prior to Atari, which I think is important to note. Like it's it's not just the story of like how Atari was made. It's also the story of like how video games were made. And early on in Atari's existence, they're still making pinball machines. And right. I, didn't, I didn't know any of that. And I singled out one of them. There's a pinball machine called Hercules. <laughs> and each of these games and, and uh, machines, you get like this little paragraph that sort of introduces you to the concept of the, of the game or the, in this case, a pinball machine. So here's what it reads. Hercules, at seven feet tall, eight feet deep, and over three <laughs> feet wide, Atari's Hercules is the biggest commercial pinball machine ever manufactured. Instead of standard silver pinballs, it used pool cue balls. <laughs> you gotta hit those so fucking hard. Yes. <laughs> ultimately, once players got past the novelty factor, Hercules wasn't much fun. It was the last pinball machine Atari ever produced. The idea of playing a pinball machine <laughs> with pool balls is so funny. And there's like, it, that's the kind, like it's, you don't, it's not just like, how how was Pong created and why are the sound effects the way they are and what is the history of Pong? You also get this like insane shit. Yes. Like another thing I didn't know, I'm going to read. Breakout, which was released in 1976, a single player brick breaking variation on Pong's ball and paddle mechanics, Breakout was created by Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Wow. Who would later form Apple. The working prototype came as a surprise to Atari's head of engineering as it was not an assigned project. So Steve Jobs and Wozniak walked into Atari with Breakout and were like, hey, what about this? (laughs) And that also explains why Breakout is on old Macintoshes. Yeah. I I I think there's a uh, that's one of those situations where it was invented by Steve Wozniak, but yeah. Jobs was there, you know. Oh yeah, no, I, I, I think it, it was one of those cl- sort of collaborations. Having I assume. Uh, having here's a little 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 thing to drop that I don't think I've dropped on the podcast before. I've had dinner with Steve Wozniak a couple of times. Wow. And um, Heather, your life is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, here, hold on. I, I have something. Right. Heather's standing up, grabbing something from behind her. Right. He gave me, the last time I had dinner with him, uh, the last time I had dinner with him, he gave me this bobblehead of himself made out of ceramic. <laughs> that. That's a that's, cool gift. That's Steve Wozniak holding an Apple One. Uh, anyway, uh, so the guy is clearly a genius. Like he's mm-hmm. like, obviously deeply mathematically inclined and you don't get this. I do think that the combination of those two guys was Wozniak explaining how something could be done and jobs explaining what it should be to be done. So I can imagine Wozniak being like, we could make a paddle and it would, it could like move around on the screen. And then jobs being like, you should make it so that one person can play it. 
because that's the problem with Pong is it's got to be a two player game. Right. So like I do there. What I know that I'm, I'm not defending a dude. I didn't fucking know. So like, I'm not trying to defend Steve jobs, but I do think that they, it was a really unique partnership that allowed those things to happen. But yeah, I didn't know any of that shit. Yeah. Until yeah. I played I, this fucking Atari game. Uh, that that context is really cool. I mean, uh, I I feel like that was something I I knew already, but it is a thing where you like look at it, it's like holy shit. Um, in context, uh, I will say that I streamed a a good amount of this this section, the arcade origins section. Um, and I did try to play some Breakout, uh, and uh, with my uh with my Xbox controller, and it was humiliating <laughs> because here's the thing. It was de- it's designed for a paddle, right? Which yeah. is like, you know, it's, it's like an analog dial, basically. And it, the, the motion just doesn't quite s- like sync right with an analog stick for whatever reason. I'm not quite sure why that's so hard to translate. But like there's a there's a remix of it. And this is part of what the they do with the, with the, with a the collection. Part of what makes the presentation so cool is that they for some of these games, they have like the original version. Like, hey, it's basically just an emulated version of the original arcade hardware or the original, you know, thing that was on an Atari 7800 or whatever the fuck and then uh, for other games including this one they have like a digital eclipse the developer made a new version of it so they have a game called neo breakout that's kind of like a tetris effect version of breakout that is way more playable and is obviously you know designed for an analog stick um so it's uh but yeah it's it i i love all that shit um I also just like like all the the, the different personalities because there's so many interviews with these uh, different developers and uh, some of whom like um, the the uh, I think Al Alcorn who's the guy who invented Pong mm-hmm. is like kind of like a real character he's just kind of a quote machine he's really great I think the other guy is it is it Todd Hyde because they have the the Pac Man 2600 uh, that infamous game uh, infamous uh, terrible port we've talked about. Uh, they have a uh, they have the programmer of that game in here, and he's just great. He's got this this great barrel chested dude uh, with, who's wearing a, a fucking uh, you know he's got he's got white hair uh, and bald on top, and he's wearing suspenders, and he's just a quote machine. Todd he's Fry, great. yeah, Todd Fry, yeah, Todd Fry is great. I love all that shit. Some of the the the, the one thing I will say, some of the games are like not really playable. Like the arcade games, and and I kind of wish they had made some concessions or additional modes to make them like like hey I can kind of control this, or if it's a two player only game, honestly even with Pong I would have loved that if I could control each paddle individually with a different analog stick. Hmm. Instead, one stick just controls or whatever your directional input is just controls both paddles at once, so you can't really even play the thing, um, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, but. I don't know. I, I I love seeing all the cabinets. I love seeing all the 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 box art, the flyers, as I mentioned. I don't know, Matt. Uh, how, what were your impressions as you're getting into this bad boy? This was like, so I have like no context for any of these games. Really, I know. I mean, mm-hmm. like I've heard of them, right? Like I've played probably, um, like Centipede at an arcade or something, or Asteroids and and things like that. So like I just didn't have access to them as a kid. So like looking at this, I was just sort of like. Like it's it's like it's just like a cool piece of history. Like that's sort of the thing yeah. that like you know we played the the Pac Man one, then the right where it was just like it was all the different Pac Mans, the Pac Man collection. Yeah, and that was such a you know sort of hit and miss kind of package, right? Where it is sort of just like you 
you have that arcade that you can unlock the other games. And like for the most part, they play like, you know, Pac-Man's Pac-Man. So like that's going to be fun. This I was like. I just I mean, if this was like a documentary on like Netflix or something, I would have loved watching it. I was like, this is great. I loved I loved all the pieces to that. I got 100 percent. I watched all of it. There's four sections. Wow. And they tell you a completion, um, a completion percentage. And I did all of it. I looked at every single little piece of like that was there to look at. Like it was like, you know, whether it was box art or um, old like drawings or um, like, you know, a business card or whatever. I looked at all of it. I I loved just pouring through that. I spent so little time with the actual games of it. Because I was like, that to me was like not the interesting part. The interesting thing was sure. this like, yeah, this history lesson, this like just walking back 50 years of history. And what I liked about it was because Digital Eclipse put this out. So it's not, and it's Atari stuff. They have the license for that. So it, I don't know how like, I guess, what am I trying to say? I guess the presentation is more objective right than it would have been mm-hmm. if it was like Atari made this, Atari's putting this out on their own. Yeah. There was some I, I think go on, go on. Like there was Please some stuff where they were like like I don't know, like not they weren't necessarily shying away from some of like the like uh like stuff that didn't work or like sucked. They were sort of like like there was this one thing that I read that I took a screenshot of. Uh let me just pull it up right here. And it's like this guy got um instead of a bonus, it says, okay, mm-hmm. one free turkey is the headline. Uh, Missile Command for the VCS was Atari's biggest selling game to that point, with over 2.5 million copies sold. Rob Fullop expected a substantial bonus check that year, but was instead given a coupon for a free turkey. This led him yeah. to quit Atari and co-found the publisher Imagic. So they were like, hey, like, like I think if Atari made that, they would have been like, hey, we like did something shitty to this guy, and then he quit his fucking job. Like, like yeah. because it was like a you know another person reporting on this or like another person another company being like hey, this is sort of just what happened. I think that's good. I think it, I think it's good that there's a little distance between, um, like the the um the subject and the people putting it together. It feels like a, a rock documentary made both by fans of a band and also some people who just like making rock documentaries. Yes. Sure. Yeah. And and I think I, I think also part of what what that is, Matt, is just like Atari's what what Atari is now is so vastly different from what it was. Where it's just like, yeah, it's been sold so many times. There's like a new like it's just like a, a, a like a French holding company now that's just like owns the Atari rights to Atari. And I think there may be a and also because that stuff has been so widely publicized, uh, they're shying away from it less. Because yeah, the the current Atari CEO does is a presence as some of, as a talking head yes. uh, for some of it. And he's so, like a young you know, guy. They, a young guy. Clearly, they were involved. And um, uh, but but yeah, I do like they they just let the old developers talk shit, and they included a lot of that. Yeah, uh, talk about how it, it sucked working there and how they were underpaid. Uh, they don't shy away from again like the Activision, and it's so weird to think of now that Activision was at a time like it was like this this yeah. rogue splinter cell of like uh, of of you know daring developers who started an indie studio called Activision uh, where the- they could make their own games and get themselves paid instead of being paid $20,000 a year yeah. uh, for making games that sold millions of copies. 
They're the first but, ever third party developer. And it's yeah. and it's all because Atari wasn't paying these guys right. the amount of money they deserved for designing asteroids. You know, like you, you make a, a first off, you have to conceive of what a game is mm-hmm. like. It's not like there was another asteroids before asteroids. No. You have to be like, oh. I've got it. I know. Like yeah. now all games are borrowing basically from the language of pre-existing IPs and and reincorporating them and sometimes there's a brand new idea but often it's just this collage of ideas that we've already experienced. These were guys who were like all right, all right, all right, all right. You're a ship and you're in space. And another guy had to be like Holy shit, do you think we could do that? Yeah. <laughs> That's the really yes. staggering thing to me too is that like somebody had to think that that was possible. Like yeah. especially because something that I guess I hadn't realized was that like the arcade machines they had these monitors that were just CRT TVs, right? That were just like they had to program it to that. Where then later on when you get into the the console part of it, they're like, "Okay, so this has to work not just on this TV, it has to work on everyone's TV at their house. So, like, it has to, yeah. we have to take this tall cabinet and put it in a fucking little plastic thing that you can take to grandma's house, basically, and have it yeah. also work there. Um, I, I was just like, yeah, I guess I just hadn't thought about that because now TVs, we just like, you plug in anything into a TV, it's going to show the thing that it, you want it to show. But then it was like, no, this. It has to be this. The, the, so the from the de- development standpoint, both the artistic side that that Heather was saying and and the the you know technical side that Matt was just citing, I love hearing them talk about through how they how that shit was solved and how they sort of worked their way through that. Um, Al Alcorn is just talking about Pong, and he's clearly like as he's talking through like like coming up with you know like the sound design. And, and and so much of it is like, wait, this is a guy who's like inventing designing a game. Yes. Like he doesn't realize he's doing it, but that's that's the process that he's going through. He's figuring that crea- that creatively. But then also there's like a bunch of programmers just talking about like the challenge of porting an arcade game back when there was a there was just an insurmountable gulf between uh, the the power of dedicated arcade hardware and a home console and trying to make it work on the Atari 2600 Atari v, it was originally called the Atari VCS so that was the thing I learned I didn't realize the VCS and the the 2600 are the same thing even though my grandma my grandparents did have a 2600 um and uh the so the the VCS like programming the VCS specifically was just meant to be hardware that could play two games, uh, Pong and Combat. And it was just like it can just play these two games, and that's all that's all it's set up to do. So by the time they were trying to be like, okay, we gotta port Donkey Kong to this this thing, the guy who who the the one programmer who was responsible for the home port of our of Donkey Kong was basically like, look. I didn't have any inf- input from Nintendo and honestly it wouldn't have done me any good because there's no fucking way we could have recreated that masterpiece on a toaster. It's just like there's just no fucking way to yes. do it. So I just had to be like, OK, this is Donkey Kong. I'll try to do like a a kind of, you know, approximation of a, 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 a completely different game that feels like Donkey Kong. Um, but I'm not trying to, like, translate the arcade version uh, and make it playable at home because that's just a technical impossibility. There's also a ton of speaking of like. So one of the things I remarkably was too much of an idiot to know before this game is that there's no software in these early cabinets. It's all hardware. Yeah. Like there's no, there's there's no, nothing being 
swapped in and out. It's not like a, I think like an Astro City, like a Sega Astro City works where you basically slot in different games. You can play them on this play all arcade cabinet. Back then it was like the Asteroids machine is the Asteroids machine. It can't do anything else. So that's one of the hardware things I I learned from this. There's also a ton of hardware like dead ends in this collection that I had no idea about. Like I didn't know about the Atari video music box, which now I'm like, I got to fucking get this Atari video music box. I was thinking Heather has Heather has this. I'm surprised that you don't already. So I'll read what it says. So uh, the first electric, the first electronic music visualizer ever sold commercially Atari video music could be hooked up to a user's stereo system and television to display psychedelic visuals reminiscent of Atari VCS graphics to the rhythms of whatever music was playing. So if you had like Winamp back in the day, there was like a visualizer and that is Mm -hmm. the grandchild of this VCS inspired Atari music visualizer which I immediately went to YouTube and was like, oh, fuck, I got to see what this thing looked like. It looks like shit. It's so terrible. Like, it, like I can't imagine ruining a great album by putting these graphics on the screen. But God, I want to do it. The other stuff I did, had no idea about was like there was a prototype holographic handheld. It's amazing how quickly Atari gets into the handheld space where they're like, we need to make handheld video games. So there's this holographic uh, Atari video game machine that was never produced that they were like holograms were all the the rage in the early 80s. So they're trying to make a holographic machine. Had no idea about that. And then the other thing is in order to, because as Matt said, there's a CRT, And that's what you're looking at when you're playing these games. So in an effort to make the CRT more interesting, they would have these like holographic overlays on top of the CRT to create additional effects in the game. And the way that this collection sort of uh, recreates that effect is by making a three-dimensional version of the cabinet that you're playing on with the hologram sort of superimposed over the graphics and a slight tilting action, like kind of like when you have certain backgrounds on your iPhone and you or or, or Marvel Snap, right? Mm-hmm. And you you rotate your phone around and you see that three dimensionality. That's present in this. I fucking love this collection, man. Like, yeah. I I I I wish that I wish everybody would play this. It's so informative. It is really cool. Going back to what Matt said about the the Pac-Man collection is like that one just does not provide such minimal context uh, for everything that you're you're, you know, everything that you're playing. It's not even a fully complete collection. And also, you know, it has the side of like Namco is in some weird dispute over the ownership of Ms. Pac-Man. So an enormous part of of Pac-Man's history is just excluded from that collection and not even mentioned. And it's like. It's 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 night and day in terms of how to curate, uh, you know, these retro games that are largely inaccessible uh, to modern gamers. Um, can can I say so? So yeah, in terms of presentation, I think it's a I think it's an awesome collection. I'm really really glad we're covering it. I hope people check it out. I hope it comes to like Game Pass or something because it is a little bit like someone on the stream mentioned. Um, 
that uh, he was like Weiger paid full price for a PowerPoint presentation because uh, it does kind of feel like that. So I, it does Who feel like a game where that? what a roast. <laughs> where if it was on if it was on discount or if it was available on on some you know on uh, it was free on the Epic Game Store or free on Game Pass or something like that. I think more people would check it out. Uh, can I I, I want to bring up uh, another thing real quick, which is that uh, going back to combat. And, you know, these early games were the the arcade cabinets. Yeah, they were hardware only. They didn't have any software. But once they got software, it's not like they had fucking Unity or Unreal Engine they were working with. They're still like just trying to program yeah. in in like very, very low level programming languages. I took one class in assembly programming in college and, you know, like 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 C++ is one thing. But when you're dealing with like assembly language, it is so fucking like, you know, you got to think in terms of uh, it's just a different kind of thinking. You just don't have those tool sets. And again, these are just text based languages. So it includes as part of it uh, the the source code for combat includes a JPEG that is just like this is just the game combat, which is a, a tank battle game. Um, and uh, I mean, I'll share this with you guys. I know I know you've seen it, but it's like you look at this and it's like, OK, so once they get software it's like this is what they're working with. Yeah. Like it, it's like it's like you know you're 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 coding in instructions um in you know what looks like a, a, a stuff that would be text that would be falling over uh, Neo's face in the matrix. It's like so like your tool set was still so crude that it's amazing that they got anything to work. Yeah. It's I was I, I'm very impressed by that sort of shit. The thing that I I mean it's just crazy to me how um, how comprehensive it all is. Like, yeah, because even the, the ET game's not in here, the Pac Man's not in here. And I would assume that's because of a licensing thing. Uh, but they talk about both a little bit, um, and also like just the the clarity on the images in this collection is insane. Because like. It's 50 years old, all this stuff. So, like, it would make sense if they didn't have high-res images of some of the early days, like, you know, handwritten notes and things like that. They have all of that. And it looks... Yeah. And it's all super clear and, like, super easy to look at. It's it's great. Absolutely pristine, you know, promo art for the fucking... Uh, Atari 5200 real sports football. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> like, like that they had all this stuff. They were able to archive it or recreate it is really impressive. Um, can we talk about, you know, can, can we play one of these videos that I think, you know, people who have experienced this collection uh, probably uh, glommed onto because it is, it is a hoot. Yeah. Uh, there's a video here it, within the um, arcade section uh, where they're talking about these early guys and kind of the, uh, you know the 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 pioneering days of of Atari. Um, uh, uh, the developers are talking about uh, allegations of drug use at the office, um, and uh, it's just I'll, I'll I'll just play it and then we'll talk about it. You will hear stories of hot tubs in the lobby and drug use in the office, and I'm here to tell you that none of that happened in my department. <laughs> we started smoking pot right in our office. Rob and I were like the junior partner. Sorry, Rob. Todd Fry. Um, I and some other person who occasionally shared an office with me for five years at Atari, however that freaking worked, we would just fire up right in the office. Like, who knows why? It's like, this is like, it's illegal. It's like... 
It wasn't even a sense of privilege. It was just mindlessness. <laughs> I worked in a satellite office. I started in 1977, which was still pretty early. It was only 18 months since the 2600 came out. Um, but there, were, there was no hot tub in the lobby of the office that I went to. There was no drug use in Atari, though I don't doubt that it was over where Howard and Todd Fry were working. <laughs> uh, drugs were consumed at Atari by all kinds of people at all levels of management from the bottom to the top and all over engineering. Not everybody did drugs, and, but uh, some people did and some people enjoyed <laughs> them and some people abused them and some people went to the hospital on them. And, uh, but by and large, drugs were a relatively nominal uh, factor. Uh, drugs, you know, there was a lot of marijuana and it would participated a lot in brainstormings. So we had the way of, you know, trying to incorporate drugs into our productivity model. I went home and I smoked a joint, a little bit of cocaine and a little bit of psilocybin in it. <laughs> That's Todd Fry, the Pac-Man guy. He's a fucking yeah. Chad. And it's like, I put it out and I went and I wrote a page of notes and my design for that kernel was exactly what it ended up ended up shipping. It was like, wow. It's that his. It sounds like his approach to designing a game was like Harry Dubois' approach to, to fucking solving a mystery <laughs> in the yeah. Disco Elysium. Just do every drug and then like, ah, oh, I did it. <laughs> I wanna, I wanna. So that's like the the documentary stuff is well edited. It's well put together. It's really charming. Yeah. The package of the games itself, like if you go to the games tab, like you can experience all this stuff you know in sequence in a timeline but if you just go to the games tab you can see all of the games on this collection and it is a staggering amount of games you shuffle yes, sideways yeah, it's, 103. On it's so it takes so long to get through them but some of them are uh are blanked out as um confidential files and those confidential files have ready player one or atari like old Atari style quests to help you unlock them. Like one of them, you get like a picture of a file and it says next to it, a dead end hides a secret room in Graves Academy to find its treasure past the test. It's elementary. Like, and you're like, oh man, this is what it felt like to try and find shit. Like, yeah, now you could just Google like, what does this mean? But like yeah. to unlock a video game, you have to go down a dead end and like solve a math problem is very early Atari. And that was a thing that I, I learned from this collection that I had no idea about, which is that uh, they had a real life treasure hunt. Like there was Atari introduced Sword Quest to its most dedicated players in September 1982 via Atari Age magazine. The cover was drawn by DC Comics artist George Perez. A feature inside the magazine described the five prizes that were to be given out, including a $50,000 sword for the final victor. So that like, there was like a, a sense of, oh, you probably go out to, you play the game and you go to the playground and you're like, fuck, I can't figure out how to get past this thing. And to give you an idea also of how expensive $50,000 was at the time, the Atari VCS, the Atari 2600, if you click on that console and you, you get your little paragraph, it reads, in September 1977, Atari launched the video computer system, later known as the 2600. It was part of a new wave of game consoles, which had no games built in, but stored them separately on ROM cartridges. 
technological superiority didn't come cheap. The VCS launched at $199 or about $950 in today's adjusted for inflation. Imagine being like, I'm going to pay almost a thousand dollars for a <laughs> for an Atari like that. It's but so if that's if 199 is a thousand, then fifty thousand is what like a million, right? That's how math. I think so. Yes, that's how math. <laughs> I was shocked at how many of the games I enjoyed. Like I, I enjoyed playing Food Fight which I don't think I'd ever played. And it was like the first mascot based game that Atari brought out. And it has like this little guy with gold hair and you run him around and you throw pies at chefs and he wants to eat an ice cream cone. And when he eats the ice cream cone, it's animated ridiculously. His head gets gigantic. He consumes the, the ice cream cone and then he gives like a fucking smirk to camera. Like I fucking did it. And it's, it's great. And and Food Fight is one of those ones where it's like this is the later era of Atari, right? Like that that's a uh you know that comes a little bit more towards the it, it it's it's not in the, those early days uh like that early days period and that kind of also speaks to the comprehensiveness of the package because like it includes the Atari 7800, which was kind of, kind of their NES competitor. Um, and uh, it includes their uh, includes the Atari Jaguar, their N64 killer, includes the Atari Lynx, their attempt at a handheld. Um, by the way, part of that, is, since it has all the marketing materials for a lot of these things, it's great to like there's like an Atari Lynx ad that's like. Sorry, Nintendo. <laughs> like, yeah, so the Game Boy is done. <laughs> it's just like, uh, man, this thing fucking bombed. Why would you the Game buy Boy a just fucking ate its lunch? Why would you buy a 32-bit console when you can buy the 64-bit Atari Jaguar? I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're all so snarky and what? smug, and it's just like, Jesus, this company just got his ass kicked throughout the 90s. <laughs> but also weird. Like, like, f- when, almost folded. When you play those uh, Jaguar games, they're baff- they're baffling. Like yeah. mm-hmm. the sound design in one of them, cre- it, it, it's like a, a spaceship game where you're like one of the first launch titles for the for the Jaguar. I didn't even write it down. You're playing as like a, a star- Cybermorph, Star maybe? Fox style. Yeah, I think it was Cybermorph. Yeah, and a woman's head, a, a disembodied woman's head, appears on screen to kind of give you instructions. But the way she speaks is really off-putting. Like I crashed into the ground and she goes, avoid the ground. And I was like, oh, God, I want to turn this off. Um, did you guys play Quantum? No, I didn't no. play I didn't play Quantum. Quantum is so fucking cool. So Quantum is like the best way to describe it is it's a DS game. So the it originally it was okay, I'm gonna read the little description. 1982, Quantum. Designed by Harvard graduate Betty Ryan, Quantum stands out for not only being Atari's only trackball game with vector graphics, but a non-violent game as well. Players must skillfully draw lines around atomic particles to score points. The highest scoring player gets to sign, sign their name using the trackball controller. So... The the game is things appear on screen and you have to circle them, like draw little like as if you have a stylus, except it's a, a rollerball, draw around them to like make them disappear and more and more appear as the game accelerates. And I was like, fuck, 
If I walked into an arcade in 1982 and I saw this, I'd be like, this is the craziest shit I've ever seen. You're drawing. Like yeah. a, you're drawing a laser on the on the screen and then that you could sign your name instead of entering your initials. It's like it's wild. This initials phase of game development where everything was possible. And I feel like Nintendo's the only people really chasing that dream still like with like the Wii or or with the Switch even where it's like, what could we do? Like, what peripherals could we include? Like, what kind of crazy shit could we do with games that I don't feel like I see as much out of Sony or Microsoft? Yeah, on, on the, you know, because there's obviously lots, lots of indie uh, attempts at that sort of shit. But like, yeah, for, in terms of the the big three, um, I think you're right. Uh, by the way, while, while we were talking about the uh, yeah, the games that, that we played on this collection, did either of you mess around with Ninja Golf for the Atari 7800? <laughs> no, I didn't. I read it. Yeah. This this collection, if we were still doing our old format, would be a godsend because we could definitely have done an episode on Ninja Golf or Trevor McFur in the oh Crescent Galaxy. <laughs> but Ninja Golf is is kind of it's 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 decently playable. Um, it feels like a flash game. It feels like a, like a, like a fucking new grounds game, uh, because it, 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 you know, it's got this random sensibility that it embraces. Uh, and I, I figured out as I was playing it as a, a on, on stream that like, oh, you, cause the, basically you, you golf on a tee, um, and then in between each swing of the golf, uh, of, of the, the, of, of knocking the golf and you are a ninja knocking the golf ball in towards the hole is you've got some light platforming uh, combat where you go and you're like fighting other ninjas and, you know, hedgehogs and um, and snakes and the like. And then after you sink the, the, the ball, however many strokes it takes you, you go and you fight a boss. And then after that, you get your golf score. And I didn't realize till later, there's like a mini map where you can aim your golf ball and you can, in so doing, you can shorten the platforming section so you can like try to get it in in under three holes. So you only have to go through three swings. So you only have to go through three sections of combat instead of five. Um, I, I don't know. It's it's like it's it's a fun game to mess around with for like a half hour. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's got some it's got other ones like like basket brawl or or scrapyard dog or what the fuck was it? There's this one I was looking at. I was like, I got to play this thing because I just don't know what the fuck it is. Uh, dino dudes. Like, what the fuck's going on with dino dudes? <laughs> I loved um, the game that I spent probably the most time with in this collection was I mm -hmm. think it's maybe pronounced Vector Sector, uh, and it's a it's an homage to like Lunar Lander, Tempest, Asteroids, and a couple other games. It fucking rocks. It is so good. It starts off as like an asteroids type thing, and then it after um, you complete that screen, it becomes. Uh, Lunar Lander and then uh, one of the other games and it's 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 I really recommend that one uh, just because I I got, got sucked into it I just I loved it it's great there, it, it's it, it's an awesome collection I there are so many of oh, them yeah. that are like it's also we haven't talked about like the design documents like you'll you, oh yeah you get like a like a like I pulled up one that was for uh shoot the centipede which ends up becoming centipede and it is a photocopied inter-office memo that says company private like it's a government document from july 17th 1980 and it's subject game descriptions shoot the centipede so this was typed on a fucking typewriter and like copied and handed out in the office and it's like 
This game would be a one or two player game on a black and white or color raster monitor. The game would be a modified soccer hardware. The controls consist of a joystick and a fire button. The player controls a gun which moves back and forth and up and down within the bottom four rows. The player always shoots upward on the screen. One or more multiple segment centipedes would appear across the top of the screen and move back and forth, descending towards the player. Like this goes on like this. Imagine getting this document and being like, fuck, yeah. centipede sounds <laughs> awesome. But like there's a fucking centipede coming at you to continue. Yeah. If the centipede hits the player, then the player dies. The player will start off with a given number of lives and he will be able to earn an extra life at a certain score. He must shoot and destroy the centipede. <laughs> like, I descri- Describing early games to other people is a bit like describing your dreams to anybody. Right. Oh, so there's a centipede and, he, and he, he's coming at me, but I had a gun and I could shoot him, but I could only move a certain amount. Yeah. Like, that sounds like a dream. So you're a triangle and you're flying around. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think it's cool that you see like a like a, a design document that's so just like spare and just says exactly what you need because those things can get can get bloated and flowery and and overscoped and you know when it's just like no this is here's bullet points of what the game has to be to function and to be uh, to be fun uh, uh yeah I, I I I love just thinking about things on that level um uh, also they include the manuals for a lot of these games and so. You know, a lot of the, the early games, the early arcade games and early console games were two player. They didn't have an AI, but there is a, a game called 3D Tic-Tac-Toe, uh, uh, which uh, which was uh, programmed by one of the, the few um, female developers at Atari back in the day. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get their name in one second, but the but it includes the manual for it. And uh, this one has AI that you play against. And so you can set the difficulty level, um, but the. The difficulty level says the number of moves the computer looks ahead and how long that will take the computer to calculate. So like at difficulty level one, the computer looks one move ahead. It takes half a second. Uh, But if you go if you crank it all the way up to difficulty level eight, the computer looks nine moves ahead in tic-tac-toe and it takes the computer's approximate move time is 20 minutes or less. So, so if you're going against max difficulty AI on this Atari 2600 tic-tac-toe game, you can be waiting 20 minutes uh, to drop your X before they drop their L. It's, 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 I, 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 I cannot, I'm, I mean, like I, if I was listening to this podcast, I'd be like, oh, this sounds great. I'm hoping you hear my voice and you're like, I'm going to play this. I'm actually going to go play it because it was. It was kind of moving. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Like it kind of made me feel something that like just playing a video game wouldn't necessarily make me feel. And it's fun to drop in on on these old like I don't think I've ever played a Lynx game in my life. And I was kind of surprised by how decent it was. And I kind of felt bad that they they when they s- send out the Lynx and it doesn't do well, they're confused. And I would have been too. I would have been like, yeah, we've made a great system. Why isn't it selling more than the fucking black and white Game Boy? So then they drop the price and it doesn't sell well. Then they make a smaller one. They're, oh, maybe it's too big. They make a smaller one. It doesn't sell well. 
and I'm playing the Lynx games and I'm like, yeah, I'm on your side, guys. It's crazy. But then again, I had a Game Gear. So, of co- like, of course. You would be on their side. I was like, why, <laughs> why didn't the Game Gear succeed? It had Sonic. I said this on the the uh, on on stream, but I'll say it again, which is that I think you know what they're what they dealt with there is consumers just have different priorities than enthusiasts. Yeah, like and it's like it, it it's the same thing happened with DVDs, like in terms of why you know how DVDs came to dominate. It had nothing to do really with that the the audio and visual quality was better than VHS. It was noticeably better, but uh, but you know that was not the key factor. The key motivating factors when they pulled consumers of like why do you prefer DVD to VHS? Why are you buying DVDs in ways that you didn't buy VHS? Was the cases were smaller, so they took up less room on your shelf, um, and you didn't have to rewind them. And it's like, you know, shit, so sometimes it's just shit like this. Like, people like, yeah, the Atari Lynx looked better than the Game Boy and sounded better than the Game Boy, but, you know, whatever. It's, it wasn't people's priorities. The The Game Boy was smaller and, and cheaper. You guys don't rewind your DVDs? <laughs> uh, 3D Tic-Tac-Toe, by the way, was programmed by Carol Shaw, who also made River Raid. Um, anyway, hey, Heather, since you mentioned the Lynx... That kind of nicely segues into uh, this week's pixel chart. Our video game sales chart segment. Um, wow. So the the ill-fated Atari Lynx released in 1989 and sold just about a million units. Uh, the question for this week's pixel chart, what are the five top-selling non-Nintendo handhelds? So obviously your Nintendo DS is number one, Game Boy and Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance. They're the, these are the ones that are dominating this chart, but but not manufactured by Nintendo. Uh, what were your what were the options? What were the the, the big sellers? Okay. I don't I would be shocked if this was a big seller, but I just remember mm-hmm. I was gonna throw it out there. The Nokia N gauge. Matt, you are correct. Wow. The N gauge. Number 10 on the top 10 wow. list wow. sold 3 million units released in 2003. <laughs> I wanted one so bad. Why? I don't know. You, I mean, great. Okay. <laughs> I think partly because no it was judgment. also a phone, right? And like when I was yeah, a kid, it was, it was yeah. like a cool thing to have a phone. I was like, but wait, I like games too. Right. You have both? It's yeah. probably Kingdom Hearts on it too, right? I think there is actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to say the Game Gear. Game Gear's on there, number eight, 10.62 million units. Wait, so... Sega, 1990. It's number eight of the top 10 best-selling non-Nintendo hardware? No, top 10... No, no. The, 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 this is a top 10 of all time. Ah. Um, Nintendo owns five of the 10 slots. Okay, okay. So what are the remaining five slots? You guys have two of them. You got the N-Gage, you got the Game Gear. The Wonder Swan. Heather, of course you get the Bandai wow. Wonder Swan. Of course that's the one you pick. Three and a half million units sold, uh, released in 1999. Also, shout out to uh, one of our mods uh, is named Wonder Swan. That's their handle. So shout out to them. Uh, three of um, five. That's two three more. of five. I mean. Three of five. The PSP? Yeah, don't overthink okay. this. Sony PSP. 80, 80 million units 80 million. Uh, released by Sony in 2004. Yeah, honestly, huge. It Actually, the PSP lifetime outsold the 3DS. Holy so, shit. What? Good, very, very. Fucking yeah, good very, job, Sony. Look at you guys go. Yeah. And of course, from there, they only built on that success. Wait, wait is, this, is the this Vita is on the say. list? The Vita is on the <laughs> okay. list, actually. The Vita, the Vita is just ahead of the Game Gear. Um, 
at, at, uh, around 10 million units. That's, I mean, was sold. So there you go. The Vita, not a success, not a success compared to the PSP. But those PSP numbers are so good. Yeah. Sony, get back in the handheld game, baby. Fuck. If they, There's demand for handhelds. If they fucking made a portable, like, I know, I know that I can't. I don't ever have the Wi-Fi strong enough to do this, but if they made it so that I could fucking stream from my PS5 to a portable, I mean, come on. Yeah, come on. Give me that remote play that I'll never use. Give me. But give it to me. Just just put the guts of a PS5 in that thing. Dude, if if they could... So, he, he, legit, though. Yeah. If they wanted to target a sweet spot, it would be... A $79 circa mid-2010s tablet that they repurposed with joysticks. Hmm. And it was just called, like, the Sony Anywhere or the Sony Game Man. or what? And it was just like a like a, an afterthought. And you'd go, you'd be like, oh, fuck, I'll, I'll, I'll pick this up. It's 79 bucks. It's like the price of a pair of Beats headphones. Right. Show one. Yeah, that's not going to happen. No. Yeah. I, I. Or. Or. You know. Like. I. I would. Just. You know. Like. Hey. I've. I've. I've pitched. Have. I've. I've pitched a. A. a, a an Xbox. A, a handheld that's just for Game Pass, but that actually has some hardware and it's not for cloud gaming. They're not going to do no. that. But I. I would love something like that. But yeah, if Sony did something like that, that would be like. You know. I don't know if you could miniaturize a PS4. Uh, or like a PS4 Pro mm-hmm. to, to to this point, like you'd have like that amount of horsepower within like kind of like a Switch sized console. But if Sony did something like that, I mean, hey, people would fucking buy it. People are buying Steam Decks. That would be enough, and you could so you could run like PS4 games, like PS4 quality games on it, and then also you can ro- you can remote play PS5, and that's the compromise. You can't yeah. play PS5 games on it, but you can remote play it. Yeah. Yep. I'd be into that. I'd do it. And it's got the dual sense haptics in it also. Yeah. You know what else I But it would I think use a pri- proprietary disc format. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Square discs. Yeah. <laughs> I I wish here's here's a pitch for a re- for a gaming machine from Sony. You could call it like the Sony Nostalgia. And it could play like PS3 through PS1 games, and it would be a a system that, and then like also indies that came out now that were up to a certain level of power. Yeah. But it would be like a retro handheld with like retro aesthetics. And I bet that That's would, cool. I bet that would do well too. Yeah. Kind of look like it maybe just like looks like the PSP. Like if you could, if you could play God Hand today, if you could play, there's a lot of PS2 games that you just can't, you don't have access to. And it was like, Almost like the, you know, Nintendo Mini or the Genesis Mini, where it was pre-packed with everything. Yeah. And you could buy, like, one of three versions. One would be, like, 200 games for each system. And then, like, the maximum version that cost you, like, almost $250 or something would be, like, every game for the PlayStation, every game for the PlayStation 2, every game for the PlayStation 3. That shit would fly off the shelves. Yeah. And plus a UMD of Shrek 2. Yes. Every system should come standard with Shrek 2 on it. (laughs) 
What are we doing? I, look, I don't even know. But look, that's this week's Get Played. Uh, links to our Discord, Twitch, and social media are in the episode description. Our music and engineering are by Devin Bryant. You can follow him on Twitter at BaffleGabs. And uh, hey, we're going to do Persona 5 Royal as our We Play, You Play. That will be, cu- be coming in December. But first, we will be doing our Game of the Year episode live on Twitch this Tuesday, December 6th. So join us for that. Twitch.tv slash GetPlayedPod Tuesday. Uh, after the, the Tuesday, right after you listen to this episode on Monday right. uh, at, at 830 p.m. Eastern. Um, and uh, yeah, we also got Get Animated. We do. We have Get Animated and we're watching Chainsaw Man. We're on episode nine uh, because we're watching them as they release, recording the episode that day and then releasing it at midnight that night. It's the fastest turnaround of any premiere anime podcast I'm sure there are people who do it faster, but none of them are premiere. No, that's true. And guys, I just want to say you got Luigi'd. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I liked it. Oh, no. I wanted it. I don't want to hear it.